Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? Has anybody told you yet Merry Christmas this morning? Merry Christmas. Even better, Jesus loves you. It's good news, isn't it? Just want to welcome everybody here today. Uh, worship was just incredible. Man, worship team, that was an amazing job. And uh, can you just feel the Lord moving in here this morning? Uh, sometimes we're so quick to jump from one thing to another. And, we, and man, just the moment of what God is doing is very important to ponder and meditate. And so I, I just really had a glimpse and a sense that, man, the Holy Spirit is really stirring the house. He's really stirring the people. And I, I don't know, I, I, there's no other thing more exciting than that. When you start seeing people come into the fullness of the Lord in one collective gathering, it's amazing. We start moving into a place where anything could happen. How many would like to be in an atmosphere when anything can happen? Come on. I would too. Um, I kind of want to share about that today, actually. Um, I, I, I just have a word. I want to jump right into it. I'm going to be talking about of course, the coming birth of Jesus, we know the Christmas season is upon us. I know probably like many of you, you can, we can get caught up in the hustle and bustle and uh, all the things that are going on. I think everybody's schedule always increases. Can someone say amen around Christmas time? But um, I, I want to encourage us um, that the birth of Jesus is very important to always to reconsider at this time. And I kind of want to bring a word that I felt like as we dive into this, that it's not only just what happened in the Bible then, but it's something that God is doing now. I'm just a person that really likes to understand the time and the seasons that I'm living in and what God is doing. And so I feel like this message today is to remind us and to encourage us that we're walking into a season right now, I feel with everything in me, where God wants to break in in every area in our life. Every area of our life. So I want to talk today about how the birth of Jesus, how the birth of Jesus, when it came, it, God had to create an environment beforehand and to prepare it in order for him to be born. And I want to challenge us this morning that as, as believers, as leaders in whatever level or realm that you are in, we do have a responsibility to create an environment where God can move in. I, uh, when Amber and I were in college, we were at... Um, Regent University, I had a good friend of mine, and he uh, had season tickets to uh, uh, a university there called Old Dominion University, ODU. It's not a major, major college, but it's, it's fairly big. And uh, he, had, he had season tickets, floor tickets, because his neighbor was the head coach. And we had tickets to go to this game. I had never been. And uh, he invited me to go, and something I thought was really neat happened when I went to this game. Now, is anybody out there, have you ever been to a large sporting event before? Yeah, come on. You've been to a hockey game or an NFL game or a baseball game maybe or a basketball game. This was a college basketball game, and uh, it was pretty hype because it was the last game of the season. ODU that year was really good. That Side note, they actually made a run in the NCAA March Madness tournament. They were really, really good. They were facing off VCU, which was their rival. And so the two teams are coming head to head. It's senior day. It's like senior day. So the, the, the campus is already like pumped. And so we go into the stadium that day. And I remember it's it's fairly large stadium. I mean, there was definitely at least anywhere from five to 7,000 people packed into this auditorium. And we're on the floor. And all I can remember was that it was so packed. It was so tight. But there was a charge in the atmosphere. Have you ever been in that or have you ever been in a meeting like that where it's just, whoo, it's electrifying? And all of a sudden you start catching the, the environment around you. People are excited because the game is getting ready to begin. But, you know, the opposing team comes out first and it's like, boo. But then after that kind of mellows out, the home team takes the court. And when the home team took the court that day, the lights went out and all of a sudden you could hear a rumble go through the whole stadium. And I mean, they jumped up. It was electrifying. And the home team ran out on the court. I mean, I thought the roof was going to come off the place. The environment had to be prepared. 
There was something about the atmosphere. And when the team took center stage, everything stopped and everything was gathered around that moment. I want to parallel that to what the birth of Jesus was like. When the birth of Jesus came, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't by chance. It was something prophesied and established even before time began. So that when the angelic realm and the invisible realm joined in with the earth realm, and that baby was born in Bethlehem, all of heaven and earth came and gathered in that moment. Could you imagine the electricity that was going through the atmosphere? So I want to encourage us. uh, There is something happening in the earth today. And I feel that we're on a, a glimpse where heaven wants to break in. Jesus, we just thank you, Lord. And I just pray that you would just take control over the next few moments and words, Lord. I pray that you would get me out of the way. And that you would send the spirit of revelation and understanding. That you would unlock our hearing and our understanding. That you may uh, speak clearly and freely to us. Lord, we honor you, Jesus. And I invite you now to take Just take charge, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I've learned for miracles to occur in our daily lives and for the divine to break in, there has to be an environment that is created for God to move in. There has to be. There's a couple examples of this. If you could turn with me real quick to Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Mark chapter 6, 4 through 5. In Mark 6, it's, a, it's the other side of the story of when Jesus goes to Nazareth as he's beginning his ministry. You guys are familiar with that story, right? Jesus is starting to heal people, teaching the word of the Lord. Things are beginning to happen and break out. But in Mark's gospel, we just see an example of this. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And how many know that the same things don't kind of happen in Nazareth, do they? I just want to point us to a a verse. John Bevere actually brought this out in his book, Honor's Reward. It's a great truth. And this is what it says in in Mark 6, uh, verse 4. It said, And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any of the miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Just want to draw your attention. He could not. Not that he would not, but he could not. The question is, why couldn't he do the miracles as he was doing in Capernaum, as he could do in his hometown? There was something blocking him from doing that. Hold that thought. In Acts 9, we see the same thing. In Acts chapter 9, there's a story of Peter and Dorcas, or Tabitha. How many remember that story? We know that Tabitha, or Dorcas, rather, falls ill and dies. The disciples in Joppa call for Peter. Peter comes, uh, Michael Hogan, when we used to drive around all over North Carolina, we would talk about this passage a lot. And uh, he always had a question of why Peter would send the disciples out of the room before he was healed. I, want, I just want to read this. It said, uh, about that time, this is Acts 9.37, Tabitha became very sick and died. Her body was washed and placed upstairs in the room. So that when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they came and sent two men and urged him, please come at once. Now Peter went there and he arrived and and went to the upstairs room and all the widows stood around him crying. I want you to catch that. All the widows in the room are crying. The disciples are calling for Peter. They don't know what to do because one of their beloved people had just died. Verse 40, here's, here's what's wild. Peter sent them all out of the room. And then he got down on his knees and prayed and turning to the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up at once. She opened her eyes. But the question, just like in Mark's case, if you parallel the two passages is, why couldn't Jesus perform miracles in Nazareth and why did Peter send people out of the room? Because this is why. The environment is so important for God to move. And when unbelief is in the room and when people are carrying things that are not right and they're not fully believing in the full power of the spirit, it challenges the anointing to work off that individual. It challenges the anointing. So Peter had to send them out of the room so the anointing on his life to resurrect a dead girl can come to pass. 
The point is, I just want us to see this morning, it is important that we create an environment for heaven to move and for God to move. And I believe with everything in me that he has put a call on this house, this church, as well as this region to be a place, to be an environment prepared for God to dwell. For miracles to happen. I mean, could you imagine that? What if people begin to walk in today and the environment was so charged by the power of the Holy Spirit, nobody has to pray for somebody because they walk into the atmosphere and cancer is healed. Maybe somebody carrying some some deep, dark wounds all of a sudden comes into the light and they're healed and they have a breakthrough, changes their life. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I think about the possibilities of those things and where God is, is taking us. There's a, I, I've learned, right? There's, God encounters us. A lot of times we have a, a singular encounter, right? He encounters us in an instant, in a moment, and it's awesome. But then there's also this thing called process. And there's a process that happens over the course and direction of our life. And that process is typically marked by a series of supernatural events or supernatural encounters that we have with the Lord. All are working to the same end. They're all working to get us to the place where the environment around us is so invaded by heaven, anything could happen. So I just want to share three spiritual insights that I've learned about preparing an environment for God to move in. Of course, I'm sure there's many others, but here's three that really stand out to me in the birth of Jesus. That is, number one, peace. Number two, revelation. And number three, application. Peace, revelation, and application. Let's use the birth of Christ as an example. Now, here's what's awesome about the birth of Jesus. If you read Matthew's account and you read Luke's account, these are the two gospels that narrate the birth of Jesus. And guess what begins to happen in both accounts in the first two chapters? There is an increase of what? Peace. Anything else? Is there an increase of? Dreams. Somebody say dreams. Dreams. Come on, God's language to heaven. Heaven on earth. Visions. There's an increase of visions. There's an increase of angelic activity breaking into the natural. And there's an increase of the Holy Spirit moving before Acts chapter 2 is given. So you see these four things happening as the birth of Christ is impending, though heaven is beginning to break in to the natural. There, there is an accelerated pace of the Lord moving into their world at that time. I just want to pause right here. I believe with everything in me, we're, that's what's happening right now. Even in the birth of Jesus, we're celebrating this birth of Jesus, this Christmas season. But I want to unfold another layer that we're in a time also where the heaven, the spirit of the Lord is breaking into our midst. We've been hosting this dream school. Pastor Tom will tell you, we tried for six months to get that school six months ago, but it just happened to fall in the fall of the year at the end of the year. Come on, you guys have been coming to class. Since you've been coming to class, how many have had an increase of dreams? Look at that. What's happening? Angels are breaking through and delivering message and divine intelligence. Why? Because God wants to invade our environment. And so it's getting closer and closer and closer. So I just get excited about that possibility. Peace, revelation, application. Okay, go with me real quick to Luke chapter 2. Verses 8 through 9, I want to talk about the shepherds and the angels. Part of this story is about the shepherds and the angels breaking in. How how, how do we prepare an environment through peace, revelation, application? How, How do those things work? Let's look at this as an example. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. I'm getting excited. Is anybody, I don't know, I just feel, I feel like, I feel like we're in the game, man, and the king's about to walk through the door. Whoo, Jesus. And then we're all down on our faces because it's all over. He's, he's here. Man, I, I, I long for that day. Okay, chapter two, verse eight. You see, when we just talk about him, he just starts coming. Just start talking about him. He starts filling the room. Now look at this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. I want you to note, Where were they living? They weren't in houses, were they? Shepherds in that day were homeless. 
practically. They lived in tents. They wandered from field to field. They were dedicated to the survival, the care, and the nurture of their sheep. It's interesting that angels would break into shepherds. Keeping watch over the flock at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. Now skip to verse 13. Look what happens. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with that angel. Just stop for a moment. I want to catch this picture. So here we have an angel coming to send a message about the birth of Christ in Bethlehem to shepherds. Then after that one angel comes, what the Bible says, a company of angels. Jewish scholars and historians believe this. They believe that there are seven archangels in heaven. That's just the history of the writings. Michael, Gabriel is listed among the two, just like in our Bible. Well, they believe that this was an archangel coming to give the announcement, just like Gabriel did to Mary when she announced Jesus' birth. But Jews also believe that behind every archangel is over 40,000 myriads of angels. I want you to hear that. Over 40,000 myriads of angels to attend the archangels. So when we read this story with that in view, it's not just one or two angels just coming to share the good news. This is an archangel from heaven and around him, 40,000 myriads of angels. There's hundreds of thousands of angels in one myriad. This could possibly be a million angels that couldn't all fit in Bethlehem. So what are they doing? They're encircling the earth. They're filling the earth. And they're beginning to make an announcement. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. And goodwill to all mankind. It isn't just kind of an announcement. Listen, they're declaring something into the environment so that it could be ready to receive the king when he's born. And I want you to focus on what that is. It's peace. They declare peace. Listen, there's no filter here. There's no Instagram filter. This is unadulterated word from heaven. And when that thing is spoken into the heart of man and into the earth, what happens to the whole environment? It comes under the peace. Because the Prince of Peace is making his entry. Now, why is peace coming? Because peace precedes revelation. Let's say that again. Peace precedes revelation. In the day and the hour, my brothers and sisters that we're living in, you need revelation. Not just kind of the surface level. We need like the revelatory word of the Lord in our relationships to get us through. Peace brings that revelation. In this case, the shepherds are now receiving the revelation that Christ Messiah is born. But it's coming from the place of peace. Just take a side note here. That's why it's so critical that you remain in the peace of Jesus in every day of your life. Because if you make a decision outside of that peace, what's going to happen is you're going to try to manufacture a solution or maybe rely on your feelings. But you can't rely on your... Anybody who's a feeler out there? Come on. Anybody a feeler out there? It's okay. I'm a feeler. I'm a feeler. I feel and sense things in the room. But if I rely on that outside of the place of peace, then I'm subject to come under delusion, deception, and make the wrong choice. We have to stay in that place of perfect peace so that we can receive that revelation. We can receive that revelation. Now, when that revelation comes, we have a choice. This is where the application comes in. So now, how do we apply the revelation? What did the shepherds do? Look at verse 17. When they had seen him, very simple, they spread the word. Somebody say that, spread the word. They spread the word of what had been told about them about the child. And listen to this next part. And all who heard it were amazed. All that heard it were amazed. What did the shepherds do? They took the revelation that they received from the place of peace and declared that revelation into the atmosphere. When they declare the word of the Lord into the atmosphere, the environment around them begins to change. People get excited. They are in amazement now. Something is stirring. It's not hype. 
This is like fire of the Holy Spirit spreading through the town. Something is happening. Something is stirred up. So all the negativity, all the depression, all the political cohesion of Rome and Judea is now coming down because the shepherds are speaking the word of the Lord into the atmosphere. How much more you and I? That's why it's so important when we receive the word of the Lord, we have to pray that thing in our prayer closet. We have to pray and declare that into the atmosphere. I don't have the whole thing on this, but I just know that when you speak the word of God, when you declare what he has shown you in the secret place, into the atmosphere, heaven moves, angels come into the room, the environment changes. But the enemy fights us so hard because he wants us to keep our mouth shut. He wants, you to, he wants you to think that somebody, you're going to look like a fool. You're going to look stupid. You're going to look like you don't know what you're doing. You're a madman or a mad woman. You can't think of that. You can't go there. you got to open your mouth and you got to declare that thing. <laughs> and the beautiful part about that is now God begins to invade your declaration. God of heaven begins to invade your declaration. That was what's happening. Listen, you're talking about, oh, I could, man, if I had the time. You're talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out. There are four individual accounts in the book of Luke, Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I can show you, I can prove to you through the Bible that those four people were baptized by the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues with prophecy, signs, and wonders before Acts chapter 2. Wow, what what is the point of that? Heaven is breaking in. It's not bound to our religion or our theology. God can move anytime he wants to come. But the point is, man, there was so much activity going on. I feel like we're in those days right now. Spread the word. I want to encourage you guys. Spread the word. Spread the word. Spread the word. If something is going down in this house, spread the word. Tell people what God is doing. Tell people of the glory of the Lord that's breaking out. Tell people if you're healed, if you're delivered. A lot of times people still struggle with their testimony because they're not fully healed. God will heal you to a certain point, but then there comes a time when you got to speak that thing into the atmosphere and it produces more healing. You got you you to get over that hurdle. But I'm telling you, the Lord, he does it when you speak the word. That's why these dreams, school, the burns, all the other things, House of Mercy have been so powerful this season. I mean, just think about the dreams that you guys are sharing. You don't understand. Man, when you're speaking that dream into the atmosphere, it's putting angels to flight. It's unlocking things that have been locked up. So I want to encourage you there. Okay, three types of shepherds. I, I, I was praying with the Lord, and I said, okay, you know me, I ask a lot of questions. So I said, Lord, there's, there's a lot of groups of people in Israel. There's a lot of different sociological groups. There's a lot of different cultural values and groups of, of higher wealthy people, economic divides. Why shepherds? Why, why did you appear to shepherds? Why make that announcement to shepherds? And so I felt like the Lord shared with me because these shepherds here represent three things. The universal language basically for shepherd in the church is pastor or leader, right? It represents church leaders. That's Jesus, our shepherd. Leaders in the church, they have a shepherding responsibility at whatever level that is, apostolic, prophetic, pastoral. We all have an opportunity and a responsibility to shepherd people. But how about not out of the church, in the secular work world? So many of you are in, in, in uh, jobs and your jobs, and maybe you're a teacher or you're a team leader, or you, whatever job you do and you work with somebody, you have an employee underneath you, you're a leader. That's a certain level of leadership. And then in the home, huh? how about the home? Fathers, mothers, you know, even with children, without children, there is a role of leadership that takes place in the home. So those are three areas of leadership. And I thought about why did God send that first? And then he spoke to me. And he said, this is a divine principle. It's a divine order, I believe, of the kingdom. It has to come to the shepherds first. It has to come to, the revelation has to come to the leaders first. Why is that? Because as leaders, we all have a sole responsibility to create the environment for God to move in. 
We have a task to create the environment for miracles to occur. So if the enemy's got us all jacked up and we're not praying and declaring, and instead of we're talking negativity, we're just talking how bad things are, I'm telling you, God can't move in that. He's powerful. He can do anything, but he's not going to move in that. That's just the truth. He's not going to move. But when you take control and you start speaking the word of the Lord, he moves. Man, we had a good friend of mine from Colesboro. We picked him up from California at the airport one time. Really awesome guy, Matt Sharp. He leads a burn Goldsboro. And we had some time together. And Matt was, uh, he had just flown in from a, a big conference from San Francisco into Los Angeles. We happened to meet in Los Angeles. So we go to In-N-Out Burger. We're sitting there talking. And he, he starts telling me about his pizza experience in San Francisco. I said, so did, did they have good pizza? He said it was terrible. He said, bro, but the weirdest thing happened. I was like, what happened? He said, well, me and my two buddies, as we're eating the pizza, we just started talking about how, how nasty it was. He said, it was just, it was just terrible pizza. You ever been to a restaurant? And you're like, the food's not good here. He said, but bro, the weirdest thing happened. I said, what happened? He said, this funk came over us. And it was like this cloud of negativity just followed us around all day. It's important what you speak into the atmosphere. It's important. And I feel like this is a word for the now that the Lord wants to remind us that we really have authority and power to create and shape the atmosphere that we're engaged in, whether that's home, work, or the church. Amen? Okay, so those three type of shepherds. Let me give you another example of this that's really, really awesome. John chapter 20, verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. Uh, I, I saw this, and it just, wow, it just blew me up. Thank you, Mama. Okay, John 20, remember the story. Jesus is resurrected. It's at the end of the gospel. And he appears to his disciples in the room. Right? He's getting ready to show them his wounds. Look at here how this peace revelation application works. In verse 19 of John 20, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together... And the doors were locked for fear. Somebody say fear. fear. Think about that. They were hiding, were they not? They were terrified. Jesus had just died. They didn't know what was going on. The last of the three years of their life, they may be thinking was a waste. But now, these Jews, these priests are after them. They're not happy with them, them Jesus followers. They want to persecute them. So now they're locked in the room because of fear. Fear will lock you in the room. Fear will shut your mouth. It will silence you. I know. I battled it. It said, but here it is. Jesus came and stood among them. And out of all the things Jesus could have said when he stood among them, what did he say? Peace. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed. And again, he said, peace be with you. I think they needed a double portion. <laughs> Sometimes I need a double portion. But the point is, the environment is being ran and dictated by fear. But Jesus appears and declares, the Prince of Peace declares peace into the room. All the anxiety and the worry and the fear leave. Why? Because he's about to unfold a revelation that they cannot receive unless they're in a state of peace. I just want to hit that point because the enemy tries. We can be busy doing this in good activity. Good activity. Good things, good ministry, good works, good deeds. But if we're not doing it out of that place, is it really effective? So he says, peace be with you. And when he breathed on them, here's the revelation, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this next verse has puzzled me for many years. I could never understand why it was inserted here. And look what the Lord says. Now, here comes the application. How are they going to apply the revelation they just received? If you forgive anyone his sins, 
they are forgiven. But if you don't forgive them, then they're not forgiven. Now, why would he say that at that point? What does that have to do in the context of the passage? I know. I asked the Holy Spirit, and he, he showed. I've, I've asked him for years. I, I'm just being honest. I could never understand it until this morning. I, this is like fresh off the press. So I felt like this is what the Lord shared with me. The disciples had not yet completely forgiven the men that were after them. See, they crucified their Lord. They put him on a cross. They stripped away everything that they had poured into in the last three years. I believe they struggled with unforgiveness. Because that's how fear comes into our life a lot of times. There's another deeper root of unforgiveness lying around somewhere. So Jesus gives the revelation of the Holy Spirit and says, you got to forgive them. You have to forgive them, and I'm giving you authority and power to forgive man when he sins against you. I mean, that's powerful. It's powerful. And so what happens? There's a shift, and that creates an environment for the disciples to hang in there until the upper room experience where the baptism of the Holy Spirit literally invades that whole region in the world. But it started with those components, peace, revelation, and how do we apply that revelation? You have to get to the place in your Christian life where you're hearing God in this hour. And when you hear him, that's not the goal. The next part is how do am I going to apply what I'm hearing, the timing of it, the delivery of it, my action of it. How am I going to do that? That's something that only you and the Lord can discover and discern. So I just want to encourage you there. Amen? Okay, we're going to wrap this up. This last part is uh, really interesting to me too. What is our role in helping provide that atmosphere for God to move in? I want to talk real briefly on the two types of anointing that God has given you. You have two types of anointing operating on your life. I don't know if you knew that or not. But I want, I want to just reveal that. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. Check out this scripture. It's very powerful. Not talked about much. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. As for you, all right, as for you, the anointing that you received from him remains inside of you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as he taught you, remain in him. This is the anointing that abides within you. This is an anointing that comes upon your life when you believe in Jesus as your Savior and you begin to commit your life to him. There is an anointing. There is a measure of the Spirit of God that resides within you. That anointing has a distinct purpose. It is to train, teach, and equip you about the things of God. It is about to reveal who he is into you. It's about to open up who you are. Your identity comes through this. Your persona comes through this. Why you tick the way you tick. What makes you you? Why do you think and process the way you do? It is the anointing that abides within you that does it. And there is something there that will teach you more about yourself through that anointing. Is that making sense? Now, there's an anointing that will, let me, let me pull it this way. That anointing is given another reason why. is given to cultivate a certain environment, and that is your own personal environment. Come on, man. That's why every great revival begins with the person, usually, or somebody really being transformed. So that anointing really cultivates your own relationship and maturity in the Lord. Now, it's not we don't get prideful and arrogant. Well, no one's going to teach me. I got the anointing, man. I'm... No, no way. That's not good. You're not going to have it for very long. That anointing is to help instruct you so that you don't have to depend on just man to give you the word. In other words, you don't have to come here every Sunday morning or every Wednesday just to, I, I need to be fed. Of course we all need to be fed. There, but if we get in a place where we're always depending on the church service to feed us, we're going to miss it. 
there is a deep anointing inside of you that can unlock the mysteries and the truth of the gospel as you see them. Right on? Okay. The second anointing, right? It's in Luke 4 when Jesus is opening the scroll of Isaiah. I'm just going to just share it. Luke 4, 18 and Isaiah 61. Same thing. What's Jesus say? The spirit of the living God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news, to bind up the captive, to set the captive free, to proclaim liberty. And that is the anointing that comes without. It comes upon you where the other one's inside of you. So when that anointing is upon you, that anointing is for the people around you. That anointing is given so that you can create the environment for God to move in. There's two types of anointings. And, and I just felt that. Now, here's the thing about the anointing. I love it. What puts a demand on it? What really draws it out? Hunger. So that's why your personal hunger with God will depend on how well the anointing inside of you is being stirred up and fueled up and active. If you are not hungry for God, that anointing is dead. It's not doing anything but sitting there. But if you remain in that place of hunger for God, always seeking the more of the Lord, that thing, woo, it just gets activated on hunger. Same way in a group of people with the anointing without. The anointing without depends on your hunger to somebody else. In other words, the people you're around will pull out that anointing upon your life. Listen, I have the Lord, when you're up here releasing, and the Lord has given me a grace on my life. I just know that when I just, I'm different, but I know it. And what happens is when you start getting excited, when you start not hype, not hype, when you start getting excited, when God starts opening things up and you become vocal and you, oh man, then I get like fired up. I begin to rock in the spirit of God. What's happening? It's not me, but it's the anointing, and your anointing are beginning to mesh and collide. It's releasing a sound. It's releasing an oil and aroma to the Lord. The environment begins to shift and change, and things happen. Woo. <laughs> this, is, this is why I love going in African-American churches. They got this thing. They got a hold on this thing. I'm telling you. I went to Pastor Bruce Miller's one day. I got so excited. I almost went through the roof because those folks, they were so hungry. I mean, their stuff was coming out of me and my body was moving all kinds of ways. I never knew it was possible. I, I'm just going to tell this. I actually, I remember in that meeting, I shared with him, I said, listen, I said, the love of God is so tangible in this room. I'm going to turn black on this stage before your very eyes. <laughs> they got so excited and I said, in your excitement, you're going to turn white. And I mean, the whole place jumped up. Woo. Shh. Jesus, hey, shh, shh, thank you, Lord, shh, hey, shh, whoa, thank you, Lord. Mm. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in being who God's made you to be. You may look different. You may act different. We may be vocal. We may be loud. It's okay. Be you. You may be silent. You may need to lay it out. It's okay. Be you. But when we get to this place where, where we're not worried about what other people are thinking and observing, oh, I don't do it like that, or I, man, forget all that. We got to tap into the anointing that God has given us. Man, there are dying people out in this world. There are dying people out in this world. And the Lord has to come forth. Woo. Jesus. So the environment begins to change. This is, okay. <laughs> this is why it's so, okay. This is why it is very important who you hang out with in this season. Uh, listen to me now. Because if you're hanging around with folk that are not drawing the anointing on your life outside, what's happening? I'm going to tell you what's happening. It ain't doing anything. And it's hindered. It stopped, and there's a block, and you get dry spiritually. The river's drying up. But here's the real thing is a lot of folks don't even know that's happening. 
They think it's, everything's good, but they're, they're under a delusion, a deception, because the people that they're partnering with are carrying things inside. Nine times out of ten, they don't even know that's there. And all of a sudden, there's a block on your life. The anointing cannot flow. And you begin to wonder, why is things happening? Why am I going into this season of despair? Why is God not moving? A lot of times, we gotta, we got to watch that. Oh, let me give an example. Give an ear to the wrong voice. Come on now. I'm, can I get down here? I'm going to get down here. Listen. When, when, let's say you're friends with somebody who's struggling with a little bit of jealousy or envy. Maybe they don't even know it. Maybe it's offense or something. What starts to happen is as you are connected with that person, even though you may not know, it starts, it starts affecting you. It starts affecting your mindset, starts affecting your vision, and that anointing is blocked up because James says bad company will corrupt good character. And so sometimes we have to be aware of those environments that we're connected to because it'll block the anointing on your life. Now, let me tell you this other. Uh, the, the example is, is the three wise men in, in Herod. Remember that? Three magi, what are they? Magi, wise men, whoever. Three magi, and they're going to see baby Jesus, and they meet Herod. That's in uh, Luke, real quick. Let me go there. This will be the last part. Go with me to Luke, real quick, because I want to tie this back into this environment thing, because it's really powerful. So you go into Luke. Or I'm, you're right. I'm sorry. It's Matthew. That's my mom. Jesus. Matthew 2, Matthew 2, verse 1. Real quick side note about these magi. These guys were from the east, the Bible says. Well, as you do a little study and and kind of really do some searching on it, they're from a specific place in the east. They're from the place of Persia or the kingdom of Persia. Now, these magi, what are they? Are they wise men? Are they kings? They could be all but the Greek word magi comes from the Greek word magician. Astrology, study the stars. So these three magi, I just want to show, were like, they weren't normal. <laughs> they could interpret the stars. They had dreams. As we know, the angel gave them a dream warning them about Herod. They could interpret dreams. But more than that, they had prophecy. They had ancient biblical prophecies that they were interpreting to find the birth of Jesus. Here's an interesting side note. Many believe that one of their chief founders was a guy named Daniel Belshazzar who lived 600 years before them. Because Daniel, who was a Jew, was sent to Babylon as a slave, but he outlived Nebuchadnezzar when the Medo-Persian Empire took over. Daniel 4 says that Daniel had the title chief of the Magi. He was chief of the Magi. This is a 600-year gap. So here we got Daniel impacting and affecting three magi 600 years later to see Jesus. Well, here's the question. How did they get the prophecy? How did they know about the star? How did they know about the virgin birth? One more step. This is just a little Bible nerds, historical stuff. Because there are, so I read an awesome article on this. There are some that believe that Daniel is not even the founder but played a big part. But the original founder goes back to Balaam. How many of you heard of Balaam? Balaam was hired as a prophet to curse Israel in the days of Moses. He gives seven messages that turn into blessing and prophecy over Israel. His fourth message, I won't go into it, but it's in Numbers 24. His fourth message says, and there will be a star that rises out of the sky, a scepter out of the house of Jacob that will rule the nations. It's an ancient biblical prophecy of the stars aligning. These three magi impacted by Daniel had that prophecy from Balaam thousands of years earlier. Why are you saying all this? I want us to see something. Because these magi just weren't normal people. They were guided by God. They had a sense of discernment and spiritual insight and understanding. But when they go to Herod's house, but when they go to Herod's house, they can't really recognize even what Herod is carrying. Because how many know when, when Herod is confronted with the Magi, there is a jealousy that rises up in that man. There is a hatred for that. He doesn't tell them. He doesn't express it, right? But the news of the coming king, we want to see his star. We want to worship him. Herod, his, his position becomes challenged. Because 
The Romans gave him the title king of the Jews. But now the Magi are saying, no, there's another king of the Jews that is being born. And I don't even think Herod understand the gravity of the envy and the jealousy and the insecurity in his own heart. So that when the word was declared, come on, the environment began to shift and change. Those things were surfaced. But, but look what the Magi, they, they can't see that. But guess what? God protects them. Whew. Gives them a dream. Gives them a dream. This means that no matter even if you got, this is encouragement, no matter even if you can't see clearly, and no matter if you're partnering with the wrong people and you can't see that, God's going to give you grace. He's going to give you a dream. He's going to give you something to let you know, don't go that way. Don't go that way, Magi. You got to go the other way now. And let me tell you the good news on this. So now we talked about the bad. Be careful who you partner with. But there is something that happens when you find the tribe or the people that you are connected to run with. Because when the three magi got around the shepherds who were carrying the same revelation from the angels, they begin to get stirred up. And guess what happens? The treasures come forth to Jesus. And what they're carrying inside, what they're carrying comes out. So when you partner with the right people, they're going to pull the anointing, the treasures of who you are into the atmosphere. It's going to change. God's going to break in. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Mm. Jesus. Jesus. I don't want to be hanging around folk that are just pulling the negative out. I want to be around people that are pulling the good out. I want to be around people who, got, who know and understand the things of the kingdom and the ways of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord. He gave them a dream. We got to be careful who we partner with. But I'm telling you, when the Lord is guiding your life like he was the Magi, you're going to find the right people. And you're going to know it because they're going to pull the treasure outside of you. When they come to him, when when they surround him now, Magi and shepherds, Mary and Joseph, in a barn, homeless, humble. How humble can you get? And they're around this environment. They open up. The Bible says they open up their treasuries. And they give gifts of frankincense, myrrh, and gold. I shared with the Bible study this morning. You know there's a fourth gift mentioned there. There's more than three. If you read that very carefully, you're going to identify what the fourth gift the Magi gave to Jesus that night. And it was the first gift of all. It said when they saw the when they saw Jesus in the manger. Could you imagine that moment? They just made a major journey going through God knows what to get there. And when they saw Jesus, it said they bowed down and worshiped. Worshiping God was the fourth gift that the Magi gave, and everything came out of that place. This Christmas season, I can't stress to you how important it is to worship Jesus in your home, to worship him in your job, to worship him in the atmosphere and the environment you are around. It does something. It changes something. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, I want you guys to stand with me. I just, I just feel the Lord wants to move a little more. Jesus. The environment is charged. Lord, thank you. Thank you. As I, I, I thought about this, you know, we know that he, they gave treasures. They gave, they gave beautiful treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But those treasures faded away, didn't they? That's why worship is so powerful. It's eternal. It's eternal. But I want us to look at one more time at a different angle of those three treasures. 
Now, we know that we're under sometimes the thought of we got to give God our best, right? I mean, there's some truth to that. We do. But sometimes that can go, I think, a little bit in the wrong direction. And we can say, well, if I just dress pretty enough, if I, if, if I just do the certain or the right thing and I give my best, then maybe, maybe that'll, that'll cover everything else. I don't think it works that way. So gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I think that represents something different to you and I today. See, I think, of course, Jesus wants our best. Of course, he wants our best. But I think he wants our worst, too. I think he wants the pain. I think he wants the hurt, the disappointment, the letdowns of life, the brokenness. I think those things are also stored up in us. But I think Jesus loves it when we give him those things more than our best. Because when we give him those things and we become truthful, then the environment becomes truthful. And the environment becomes a place where people feel safe and secure to take the mask off, to let down all the all the cares and things that they've been going through. And it just becomes clean. So I want to give us an encouragement. I just want to call some forward right now, Holy Spirit to come. And the challenge I have before you leave here today is what gift do you have to bring the King this morning? What has you inside, be it good or bad, what is it that you need to give to the altar? That's prophetic right there, people doing that with money. What, there's something, what is inside of you right now that the Spirit is surfacing that needs to be given? I, I just feel if we would have a moment of just you and God, I want to call people forward. If you feel that, if you feel stirred today from that, and there's just something you want to give the king, maybe it's an abandoned praise, maybe it's a shout, maybe it's a disappointment, maybe it's a wayward child. What is it that you need to give the king this morning? He's here. I want to invite you forward right now and come on up and speak it into the atmosphere. Declare it into the room. It's okay. Watch, things will begin to happen. Come on forward. This is between you and the Lord right now. This is you and the Lord doing business. This is you and the Lord. Holy Spirit, come right now. As Sarah and them lead us, just begin to do business with God. Just begin to release everything you have to the Lord. And the glory of God is going to come into this place. We thank you right now.